Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. Stephanie Carey joins me today. She's the owner and publisher of The Pitch Magazine in Kansas City. She's writing a book called Jesus Stole My Power, and it's all about the deconstruction that she went through and the experiences that she had through purity culture. We had quite a bit to talk about considering what I'm writing my book about, so... Purity culture affects you in a multitude of ways. And when she found herself single at 30, she realized that she had a lot of lessons to learn. So we talked about her online dating experience and how it was like the first time she had ever felt really good about sexuality. I think that anyone who listens to this interview and anyone who reads her book eventually, who has felt like they have made a mistake and then been punished for it in some way, especially with regards to sex. I mean, when we were teens, sometimes we thought we were going to hell for holding a boy's hand or gonna be damned forever for laying down next to them, even with their clothes on. So again, there's just a lot to deconstruct. And that's what she hopes to do is help others out there through sharing her experience. A few things I've got to tell you about what I've got going on in the month of July. I am going to be hosting another workshop. I am doing workshops the last Thursday of every month now. This one in July, I'll say 2021, in case you're listening much later to this, is for cock worship. I love teaching this way to suck a dick and I call it cock worship. So if you don't really like giving blowjobs if you find it tedious or it's a chore you just avoid it because you don't like it or you think you're not good at it this workshop is for you it's by far my favorite workshop to teach so there's several ways you can find tickets for that it's going to be listed on eventbrite so look at my social media channels i'm on facebook twitter instagram tiktok linkedin all the above a lot of them have a link in the bio for Linktree. You can click on that and find tickets that way. You can also get on my email newsletters. I've got two of them. One is safe for work, one is not, and I call that the dirty bird. If you would like to be on either of those email lists, shoot me an email. Again, Kristen at OpenTheDoorsCoaching.com or find links for those through my social media channels. July's email newsletters are gonna be all about vacation, sex and how we talk about our bodies so let me know if you'd like to get added all right on with the show on this episode of keep them coming i am joined by stephanie carey she is the owner and publisher of the pitch magazine here in kc i didn't have her on just to talk about what she does as a, a newspaper publisher, I wanted to have her on to talk about something that's a little more personal. So Stephanie, thanks for coming on the show today to talk about leaving purity culture behind. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you not only run a really cool news magazine here in Kansas City, which certainly we'll talk about that because I think that's a lot of fun. It's, of course, a, a progressive magazine, so I do read it myself. Thanks. <laughs> But you are similar to a lot of women here in the Midwest who grew up with this pretty, say, sort of fundamental, like evangelical upbringing. Right. right. And there was a lot of things to unwind and unpack as you went into adulthood. And man, this is a common theme as I am getting deeper and deeper into writing my book. And I came across you and the Innovate Her group. Yeah. We'd actually met previously when we went to Bad in Bed Live with Shelby Simpson last, like, was that 2019? It was. I love Shelby <gasps> so much. Can we just say how awesome she is? She is. She was on my show. She was on an episode. Bad in Bed Live was what we called it, or Bad in Bed with Shelby Simpson is what we called it. But she was wonderful. If you've not listened to that episode, do go back. 
but yeah, we've, we've got this little connection in common with Shelby. She's now helping you with your book. You're on your writing journey as well. I am. I am. Like Shelby was generous enough to give me her time and to look over the proposal that I've already finished. So um, her feedback was just absolutely amazing. So thankful. Well, I feel privileged to also be one of the first few people who's learning more about what you're writing about. Um, And now my audience, too. We're going to get a little sneak peek here because you are writing about your journey out of purity culture. So do do you have a title? Yes, it's called Jesus Stole My Power. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So... You know, I'm I'm playing dumb here. Like, do you have a title? Like, it's hilarious. So I had to just have her tell it herself. So, um, but the story behind Jesus Stole My Power, is that correct? Yes. Yes. It's really funny. So do please tell the listeners a little bit about that. It's good. It's good. So um, a few years ago, I was not the owner and publisher of The Pitch. I was um, a consultant and software salesperson in the local media space. Um, I had this great idea as a fantastic salesperson that I was, that I could take my past, which was evangelicalism, and I could profit from it because why not? (laughs) I figured I could talk the talk. And I could go to Christian broadcasters, which I grew up listening to. Shout out to Focus on the Family. No, not a shout out. Just their garbage. (laughs) Right. Um, But no, I I grew up listening to Christian radio and I knew all the things and the shows and the way it works. So I thought I can go sell the software to Christian radio stations. And so I, I, I... my company paid for me to go to the Religious Broadcasters Association Conference. And this year, that year, it was in Orlando, Florida. And I got there, like, feeling pretty good about my plan. And then I realized this was a horrible idea because I was right back into my childhood. And I hadn't done any, like, emotional preparation for it. I wasn't prepared for creation mm. back in my face again. I wasn't prepared for the the booth that had Cosmo is porn and their whole mission was to (laughs) tell people not to buy Cosmo at Walmart because it's porn. Um, I can't make that up. Like that, that I actually talked to those ladies because I had to, I was like, what is their thing? And uh, (laughs) it was awful. But I went to go set up my booth and my, my product was very um, non-religious. It was any software, any radio station could use the software. And so I was there setting up my booth and my company had paid for power. And, you know, at these things, that sounds like your company paid for power. They should just have power. Well, no, not in convention centers. They charge you an arm and a leg for power, internet, something. They charge for everything. They charge for carpet. They charge to have a carpet they charge for a chair yes a chair so i went to go plug in my stuff and something was in my my one little plug that we paid for so i couldn't it was pipe and drape separating all of the booths from each other and i couldn't exactly like well i could have but i wasn't about to exactly crawl underneath the pipe and drape and pipe up pop up (laughs) and then booth in the booth behind me so i had to walk all the way it was a really big conference i had to walk all the way around to get to the booth behind me and lo and behold i see a full jesus of nazareth in costume And he's stealing the power. He's taken the power that my company paid for. I shouldn't even call it my power at this point. It was my company's power. They paid for it. And so um, I had to say, Jesus, can I have my power back? Um, it was a real awkward, awkward conversation. But when I um, got to the other side of the conversation, I started thinking about it, how hilarious it was. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is a metaphor for my whole life. <laughs> for real <laughs> oh my my memoir. and um i'm really hoping that it will resonate with people uh, i'm in a lot of um deconstruction groups on the internet and facebook and all this and finding out that i'm not alone and i did this deconstruction thing like way alone in the early aughts but um there are a lot of people doing it now and even though my story is a little bit older uh it can still resonate with people in you know the current times absolutely so 
you know, there's the thing about the deconstruction aspect is that a lot of people start the deconstruction in their 20s, but that doesn't mean that they're finished. Mm -hmm. A lot of things can linger. Um, And, you know, as a sex coach, what I see is things lingering when it comes to relationships and our sexuality, sexual expression, our sexual identities, our relationship dynamics, all those things. So... You know, from the conversations you and I have had, that purity culture aspect was one of the things that seemed to linger, which is really common, Mm -hmm. especially for a lot of young women. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not like I'd be like, so tell me your whole journey about (laughs) figuring out how that you could, you know, slut around or have sex freely with pleasure. That's a long story, right? Right. But, you know, you have shared with me a little bit about some of your, you know, relationship history personally. Yeah. And and you're like a lot of people where married young, couldn't quite figure it out, figure things out later, but are still working on things. And it's it's a real journey for a lot of people. And I think that part of it is really what I'd like to talk most about sure. is sort of the journey aspect. Um, you know, again. Most people like to talk about what got them down and then where, where they are in their like recovery or I'm fine now or here's where I'm at now, but we don't talk about the steps in between. So can you start, maybe tell me a little bit about where does your memoir sort of begin in talking about some of this deconstruction of the purity culture stuff? Well, my memoir really begins at childhood because you can't talk about you know, where you've come, where you're going until you talk about where you've come from. Mm-hmm. So I, I won't go there, but I think that the real critical part was, you know, after doing all the right things and saying all the right things and, and, and really just keeping myself pure. And it's a, it's a lot of work to do that. I mean, it is a lot of work and a lot of emotional work to keep it. And then, you know, the idea of anything sexual is just so, uh, it's just so out there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, your fantasies become like my wedding night when I'm pure. Um, but I, I had done all those things and I found myself in a position where I wasn't going to get married and I'd gone to Christian college. I'd gone to the same college my parents met at, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I didn't go to Christian college looking for the MRS degree. And for those who <laughs> know that is, um, when you go to college, trying to get married. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, my, my boyfriend didn't know that was a legit thing until I told him about it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it is such a legit thing. And I didn't do that, but I did think that it would be a secondary product of me going to college if that makes sense so like I would get my degree I thought I would go into counseling uh, but I ended up being a journalist but that's another story Um, I would get my degree and I would find somebody to get married and have sex with like it was kind of like that simple to me and then it wasn't and then I was graduated I was in my career, I had moved to North Carolina to be a reporter at a daily newspaper, and I was a freaking virgin, and with no, like, hope in sight. Like, I was like, yeah, it's not, it's not gonna happen. Aww, <laughs> no hope in sight? Aww. But, you know, it's fine. I, I kind of took my power. I rem- at the time, I remember um the, my first night when I moved to North Carolina, my apartment wasn't ready, so I had to stay in a like a fairway in hotel cheap hotel mm-hmm. um like the kind that you like get into your hotel ro- room from outside <laughs> like yeah that yeah. kind of hotel maybe that's a motel I don't know but, yeah I think that's a motel yes I was staying in the motel but it had HBO and I uh, sex it was the first time I saw sex in the city and mm-hmm. it was live and it, you know it, cause it was a Sunday night and so it was live and it was maybe the first or second season and I was just like what is the show? Like, this is so amazing. Like, this. And so it kind of started me on the thought process of like, this could be okay. And you know, I had taken some baby steps. um, My last year of college toward, you know, it was coming becoming very clear to me that my path wasn't going to go as expected. And so I started to kind of push boundaries and and there were some guys I saw but you know still didn't go all the way but I was like you know what I am a 
independent woman with a job and a very, very small paycheck and <laughs> in a motel room, no, <laughs> with a, with a, uh, with an apartment, you know, and I'm a reporter, like I'm a journalist, like who cares that I'm in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina? Um, by the way, if any of your listeners know Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, have them reach out because they get like a bonus point for knowing where <laughs> Carolina is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just started to feel like it was okay. And one of the big things I did when I moved to North Carolina is I didn't join a church. Like mm-hmm. that was kind of a big move for me because mm-hmm. I'd always been a part of a church. And up until like my last year of college, I'd been very active in a church um, in Tennessee where I went to college. Um, second bonus points, if you know where Johnson City, Tennessee is, which is where I went to college. Um, and so, you know, I, I was already start, starting to lay the groundwork of like, I'm going to take my life in a different direction than it was supposed to go. And I can do that. I can do that. Mm-hmm. And that was just, you know, I was all alone in this. Like there was nobody to talk to about it because none of my friends understood because all my friends were like liberal journalists. <laughs> you know, they're like, of course you can have sex if you want to stuff. Right. <laughs> like, what is your problem? Um, you know, many of them were atheists and um, they just thought I was like, they were like, Stephanie is just so sheltered. Um, and they were not wrong. But, you know, I just really started to have that empowerment that I could do that. And I remember being, one day I came into the office, it was the summer I just started, and I remember what I was wearing, because I'm a clothes person. So Mm -hmm. I was wearing one of those, um, not too short, but like a mini skirt from Express that was like made of that um, like spandex material that was like Mm -hmm. ish enough to be professional, but it was kind of cheap and mm-hmm. a um, similar fabric button down express blouse. And I thought I was fancy. Oh, and the Steve Madden platform sandal shoes. Yeah. The big clunky platform sandals. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I, loved them. I loved them. I probably would wear them today just because I loved them so much then, but, but I would probably break an ankle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I turned around and um, the, my my desk where I sat, I was the features reporter. My desk where I sat in the newsroom was next to the sports reporters area. And the sports reporters didn't come into the newspaper until the afternoon because they covered sports in the afternoons and evenings and wrote their stories at night. So usually that area of cubicles were empty and quiet. And there's a guy sitting in one of them kind of spinning around in a chair. And I was like, hello, who is this? He's not one of the sports reporters. I can tell that. And he ended up being the intern. And I just, you know, I let myself go. I was just like, I'm just going to go with this Uh for the first time. And, you know, it was a really great relationship. I mean, he broke my heart, um, which was inevitable because I had still had this mindset that you date to get married. Mm-hmm. And so, and was this who helped you with your sexual debut? He did. He did. He he was you know very patient, very kind, very understanding. Um, mm-hmm. He was also like a huge pothead, so maybe that had something to do with it. <laughs> uh, he was really into um, uh, fish, the band Fish. Like he traveled, he uh, goes to fish everywhere, and I thought that was uh, so cool. The other thing that he did that I thought was so cool is I was a smoker at the time, and whenever we were together, he like put both cigarettes in his mouth and lit both of them and handed me mine, and I just thought that was like the sexiest thing. Even though I'm sure that's like super gross to most of, most of your listeners, I used to be a smoker too, and my first husband did that yes! like when we were first dating. Yeah, it is like it's like a thing of service. For yeah. yeah, it's just like this moment, and they're like looking at you while they do it. Like this, mm-hmm. this is for you. Here's your nicotine coming straight at you. Yeah, <laughs> from my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> to me, I don't care whether it's a cigarette or a joint. Like when a guy's like lighting something yeah. and like looking at you, like there oh. is just a certain like sexiness to it. Oh my gosh! And I had never. These days, it's just joints, not cigarettes. <laughs> right. And these days, you know, I'm just gonna 
eat it and not smoke it because I'm trying to like make up for lost time with my lungs for the day. There you go. I did some real damage to my guys. Don't smoke. It's horrible. And and probably don't vape. We don't know enough about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I've stopped that as well. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he was, he was really instrumental and I'm thankful to him. And I'm at, I think I'm Facebook friends with him. You know, we don't talk. I, mean, like, I think probably one night I got drunk and I was like, where is, where is he? I don't want to see. And, you know, it doesn't look like. We've all done that. Oh, right. It doesn't look like he ever got married. He might have, but it doesn't look like it. And uh, he still just looks like the same chill dude. I mean, he's probably still listening to his fish and getting high. And, uh, you know, I commend him for that. And, um, he, he was definitely a mama's boy. So that, yeah, I was in the South. That's how I knew I was in the South. I was like, mm. Oh, this is a different thing. This is really like, he called his mom mama. And I was like, Oh, I'd never heard that before. So okay. yeah, I, well, I'm from Missouri and I, but I'm a mid Missouri girl out in the country. And mm-hmm. I say mama sometimes, I, I just but yeah, heard it's, it. a, it's kind of, it's kind of a hickey thing, like hick thing. Yeah, I I just hadn't heard of like a grown man. Like it just was like his mom, his mama bought him like a really, really nice SUV because she got like some divorce settlement while we were dating. (laughs) Um, And he's like, mama bought me this car. I was just like, that's, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) It's very Southern. It really is. It's very Southern. There, you know, that would have been a miserable, like his mom was very sweet to me, but I'm sure it would have been a very miserable situation had it continued on. So, um, onward. Um, Um, yeah. (laughs) We ended up meeting my first husband. You know, I felt very empowered after I broke up, after he broke up with me, Uh I felt very like, I, I mean, it just felt very sex in the city for lack of a better description, because I had, you know, that, that show was very popular back then. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I am Carrie Bradshaw. I basically got broken up with a post-it note and I am going to have sex with everything. And, um, yes. I didn't really, I did have a one night stand with a cowboy who came through town, not my finest moment, but also, no no regrets I don't know um (laughs) it was awkward because I'd never had a one night stand before and so Uh I like we had talked about like because I always talk about I can't really make good small talk I'm not good at that so I was going really super deep and so I talked about a book that I'd been reading that was like really meaningful and when I like drove him back to his hotel where he was staying and his cows were in the parking lot and the like cow thing the cow transport thing Uh I like gave him the book with my business card in it because you know you didn't really have I didn't have a cell phone or anything and I was just right no and then he called me at work like a week later and I was I saw it come over on the newsroom caller ID and I was like my boss I was like I can't, I can't answer this. I can't. <laughs> that was a horrible idea. So I botched up one night stands. <laughs> I, couldn't, ah! I couldn't even do that right. I couldn't even do that right. But then shortly after that, I went to my best friend from high school's wedding. And she was an example of someone that had followed the path. I think we had make, made purity vows many times together as high schoolers. At oh, many, how precious. I know. Many a conference, many an altar call. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we'd, been, we'd been in many prayer groups together. And she had actually gone to the secular college, K-State. And I'm the one that went to Christian college, but she stayed the path. And she met the guy through the Christian the Christian college organization on campus that they were part mm-hmm. of. And she was going to get married. She was a virgin. And she was, I don't know, she was probably 23 then, because I was 23, um, 23, 24. And I was in her wedding, which, of course, so I flew back to Kansas City and had to wear a purple um, bridesmaid dress because she was a big, big, big K-State fan. Like, <laughs> so of course her bridesmaid dresses were purple, but um, you know, I've, 
it, it was fine. It was a lovely dress. It was a lovely wedding. But at the rehearsal dinner, uh, I didn't have a car because I was visiting from North Carolina. And mm-hmm. my little brother, who lived in Kansas City at the time, had to pick me up. And the rehearsal dinner was out in Martin City at that barbecue place. Is it oh, uh-huh. Sports? Is that what it's called? Jackst- it, it's a Jack Fiorella's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they have a venue for mm-hmm. yeah. out there. So that's where it was. My brother um, in his youth was notoriously lost and like could not find his way around Kansas City, even though it's basically a grid. Right. And, um, it's like the easiest city in the world to get around, but he Agreed. was a bit lost. So I was standing outside waiting and I was like, I'm just going to smoke a cigarette. And like, I don't care if these people judge me. And so I lit up a cigarette and this guy comes out and he's like, mind if I join you? And I was like, who are you? <laughs> there's another smoker here, a.k.a. there's another sinner here. And so uh-huh. uh, we started talking and it, he was um, my best friend's new husband's cousin. And uh, he lived in Lawrence and he was like a stockbroker. And, you know, he thought it was super cool that I was a journalist. You know, maybe he didn't really understand how small Rocky Mount was. (laughs) But, you know, I was over there covering lawn ornaments and Rocky Mount backyards for the home and garden section. So I was, you know, cutting edge journalism. And (laughs) we met and, uh, we said he, you know, we smoked and we talked and there's definitely some chemistry. And he said, you know, let's hang out tomorrow. And the wedding was dry. So, <laughs> duh, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So we spent the whole day together hanging out, sm- smoking um, out back and then trying to find alcohol from anywhere, anywhere we could get it. And he actually asked me out after the wedding that night. And um, again, I'm I'm visiting, so I don't like really have a home there, you know. So I was I went to my cousin's house, uh, and uh, he actually picked me up there from there, and he took me to the Beaumont Club because oh yeah, a friend of his. This is going to be like a nostalgia episode. A friend of his was like doing some like crazy party and so his friends were there and he quickly realized this is not the place to take her when we don't really know each other that well like his friends were crazy and like drunk so uh we ended up going over to harry's there in westport and closed it out and i remember i think i drank amstel lights at the time because i thought that was like the coolest beer to drink because craft beer hadn't really made its debut right it hadn't you know it's like miller i was like i could drink a miller light but i'm gonna drink an amstel light and let you think i'm classy so we you know we hit it off and he ended up he ended up moving out like very quickly out to north carolina like it all happened very quickly and we had to lie to my parents that we lived together because he didn't have a job. He actually lost his job during 9-11 because he was a stockbroker and he was a junior stockbroker. Mm. And mm-hmm. he was actually supposed to be in the Twin Towers at the Morgan Stanley offices there that day, but something had happened that he mm-hmm. couldn't know. And, like, he kept his plane ticket. Remember when you, like, got plane tickets? Like, Yeah, right. They were physical <laughs> things. Yeah. Um, they came in the mail in an envelope if you went through it. Like, however they came. But, you know, it all happened so quickly, and there was like, just a lot of lying involved to my parents. Like, we had this whole elaborate story that Matt had moved to North Carolina, but he was living with, a, like, a co-worker of mine. By this time, I worked in radio. So, um, you know, it's like, he's working with my, um, my pro- program director, and he wasn't. He was living with me, and it was just mm-hmm. a lot of work to lie. It's like exhausting um yeah yeah and so I you know all of our friends were like we had older friends in this town and they were all married and we just hung out with married people and it was just kind of like this push where we're like well that's what we're gonna do we're gonna get married and then I'm like and then we won't have to lie to my parents and then if we go visit my parents we won't have to sleep in separate bedrooms because that's how it was so you know, we just decided to get married and we did. And it was a beautiful wedding. I got married on Bald Head Island, North Carolina. After the pandemic, I highly recommend anyone looking for a beautiful, unique getaway to go there. You take a ferry out there and there's no cars on the island. And bonus, you can take a picture in front of the lighthouse where they filmed Weekend at Bernie's. 
So. Ah, so I'm curious if you had to hide all this stuff, like in retrospect, like, did you later tell your parents and tell your family like, oh, yeah, by the way, I was just like lying through my teeth the whole time we lived together. I did. I did. I think it kind of came out in pieces for my mom and dad. I don't, I don't think my, so on my wedding day, my best friend who was also my best friend from high school that I had met him at her wedding. She was in my Uh wedding because now I'm marrying her husband's cousin. So now we're like cousins in law. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We were riding in a golf cart together and she's like, I heard a rumor that you're living with Matt. And I lied again, you know, and <laughs> no, we're not living together. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> that's the implication, right? Obviously, is that means you've lost your virtue. Yes. Got any tips you didn't, for my wedding you didn't. night? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, the implications of that for all of it. So like, yeah. but like, I'm curious when, when your parents did finally understand like, okay, yeah. She wasn't a virgin on the night of her wedding. They did live to get all the things like was their reaction all that bad or was it because like it already passed? It didn't matter anymore. How they take it passed and I was already married. So it was like, oh, too late. And I think one thing that did help my cause, um, especially with my dad, is that my parents lived in Europe after well, while I was in college. And it really sort of like my dad started to kind of like a fr- I had a friend that was um, from Amsterdam or from Holland and she lived with her boyfriend and my mom was like, oh, and my dad was like, Terry, this is the way they do it in Europe. You know, like it was almost like it kind of softened them, even though they were still very religious, um, just their their eyes had been opened up a little bit. So I think that mm-hmm. did help as mm-hmm. well as and also just like the media and they also lived in London so then like the media and the commercials and even like billboards and stuff are so much more suggestive out there that mm-hmm. I think it just kind of like the you know I married at least I got married like at least I didn't get like, pregnant and end up like um god forbid you know um a single mom or something Yes, God forbid, forbid by their standards, right? Exactly. There's way worse things in the world to be than a single mother yeah. or have a major sexual debut before you've got a ring on it. Or even to put a ring on it, there's way worse things than to be perpetually single your whole life. Yes, and there's, but I didn't, I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't. And it it really just affects, it trickled, it, it, I've been saying trickles down because I've been, talking a lot about the current seller's market housing market and mm-hmm. I'm saying like the trickle down effect of that but like it trickles down it's like you know purity like everything that purity involves impacts every aspect of your life and um I hated lying about living with Matt like I really really hated it I'm sure my parents knew like looking back I don't think I'm a very good liar to be <laughs> and um I think, you know, you believe what you want to believe. And, you know, my parents were at the time in London, so it's not like they could just pop in. (laughs) Yeah, right. So we were kind of safe from that because we were so far away from my family. It can make a difference for sure. So I I had also taken a purity pledge, I guess, purity pledge in high school. It was sprung upon me. Like I showed up to youth group that night and they were doing it. And I'm like, oh. Okay, so this is what I kind of do tonight. All right. But my parents weren't super into the idea of all of that. Like they weren't pushing it. Mm-hmm. They weren't the ones who were saying, but they weren't very happy when I did have my boyfriend move in in college into like, I had like a one of those apartments in Columbia, Missouri, where it's like independent uh, renter agreement. So you may have like three roommates, but you're all on your own leases. Oh, so that like, I didn't know that was a- that way. Yeah, there's a couple apartment buildings there that kind of match you up or you can just live with your friends, but you all have your own leases. That way, if like shit falls apart, (laughs) you know, everyone's kind of protected. And and so my boyfriend moved into the spare bedroom when someone else moved out. And yeah, they they weren't happy about it per se, but they just didn't seem like they could really do anything about it. Well, I mean, yeah, like what are they going to do? Drag you (laughs) come and drag you out of it. Uh, right. Yeah. And and it was a lot about the implications of the living in sin thing. I definitely got the living in sin stuff from oh, my yeah. Yeah. dad's mom and jokes from my mom's mom, my grandma, who really did love 
me and she loved my ex-husband she really did like him um he was a nice person we just weren't a good fit but there were jokes about like oh yeah y'all living in sin (laughs) (laughs) like i guess with the lie i never had to hear that like i I remember saying it about myself because i knew Mm -hmm. that would be the thing but i never had to hear about it well lucky you but again like what's worse lying about it or getting the getting the jokes or getting the bullshit it was never mean that was one thing i will say they were never like you are living in sin and this is wrong and you need to move out and get your life straight there was none of that so at least i kind of i feel like i was kind of middle of the road with the flack that i got it sounds like yeah it sounds like you definitely like some parents would just be like we're so excited that you know you have this partner and that this person is making you happy like there's like that spectrum and then there's like my parents spectrum where they're like we're gonna cut you off you know you have nothing you must end this and then I think there's kind of like a medium spectrum of just like well we don't really approve of this but it's happening anyway (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah exactly Well, I want to pick back up on this, but I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the, again, some of those moments where you really started to realize, okay, I've, I've done some work, but there's more work to be done to get past some of this purity culture stuff. Yes. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute, so stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. All right, and we're back in with Stephanie Carey, who is talking about how she left purity culture behind. So during the first half of the show, we were talking about sort of like your your early days of like what what purity culture kind of was like for you and then figuring out some of the, the things that didn't fit in for you. Yeah. Um, but all of this stuff is a total journey. So we kind of left off after uh, finding that first husband who the, the sinner like you, <laughs> you met out while smoking um, and then kind of had to hide the, the early stages of your relationship, living together and things like that. But again, he's your first husband, but he's not your current husband. No, so he's not. Tell me a little more about what that journey was like after that yeah, point. Yeah, I had a pretty explosive divorce, and that merits its own incredibly um, juicy episode of something. Mm. <laughs> so we'll just move on from there. But I found myself single at 30, uh, you know, after all this. And because I really, I mean, there was like the cow, the one night stand cowboy, and like, I just really hadn't dated that much. I was like nervous and excited and Mm-hmm. By the time this time, by the time I'm 30 and I'm single, technology has changed. You know, now we're carrying around cell phones and people are texting each other. And that was a thing that, you know, I'd never texted a guy before that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, um, you know, there is online dating platforms. And so I, I got on there and I met a few guys and I was just having like a blast. You know, it was probably the first time in my life I truly felt comfortable with it, like truly comfortable with my sexuality and like there was really nothing my parents could say because like Mm -hmm. I was supposed to be a virgin and they knew I had really left the church so it's not like they expected me to like wait and find another husband Uh, actually I think at that point my parents hoped I would never marry again because of all the drama with my divorce Um, you know and that's something that real real quick that I I didn't realize until I became a coach that there is for a lot of people who had kind of gone into their first marriage in the church, you know, believing all this stuff that there's actually the debate afterwards of, am I now going to be celibate again until I get my next husband? Yeah. Like that completely blew my mind that people thought about that. (laughs) But you're right. It's a thing. It's a true, true thing. And there's like singles groups and churches and stuff for that kind of thing. I, I don't want to discount that it is a valid choice, but it wasn't until I was like, why would you do? Okay. Okay. I, uh, and I've had, I had one person ask me about it at a, kind of at a little conference thing I was doing a presentation she's like well what do you do to coach people about uh avoiding fornication and the way she put it I was like oh this is definitely loaded and this definitely has some religious overtones and I had to sort of just ask some more questions 
And she was basically talking about how do I coach people through having no sexual contact whatsoever after they get a divorce or after their spouse dies until they find their next spouse. And I was like, I appreciate that that's a valid choice that people make, but it's not something that I coach people through because I've never had someone approach me wanting that. Well, the fact that she used the word fornication was probably mm-hmm. a red flag for you. It was absolutely a red flag. I was like, no, no, no. Co- approach with caution. Approach with caution. You know what? I bet she was hanging out with those Cosmo as porn ladies. <laughs> probably. Oh. But I tried to be as diplomatic about it as I could. And again, I want to say that. I, if that's your, your path and that's your choice, that's, that's fine. I don't personally help people with that because I, I wouldn't choose that. And I wouldn't know the first thing about telling someone to avoid fornication because I just don't think that way about sex and sexuality. So yeah, I guess that. <laughs> like it's a choice. Like everything right. is a choice, right? Like you can choose to be celibate your whole life. Like, it, you know, everybody has a choice over this. Yes. Uh, but the problem I have with it is that it's not presented as a choice. It's right. presented as the one one right, one right and true way to do it. Exactly. It's the must. You must be celibate. You must remain pure. And it and also the idea that your sexuality is tied to your pureness and your cleanliness is also problematic to me. And your sexuality is tied to your faith, your relationship mm-hmm. with the Lord, with God, whatever you want to call it. You know, that's weird and deep and like, who wants to think about Jesus when they're having sex? I'm sorry. Maybe that, maybe that's somebody's thing. But, like, I don't know. It's just all, when you think back on it, it's just all very weird. It is. It is. And I, oh, I understand that there's lots of, that probably, there's definitely Christians that listen to this show. And I don't want my giggling or my, like, oh, to make it seem like it's judgmental. It's just, we are on different paths and I've interviewed some Christians too for my book because I've gone through this I have a a pastor that I interviewed and you know I want to say that it is about a very particular mindset you know not like we say not all Christians but you know like let's be real there are some folks out there who would love to see certain things banned, certain things outlawed. Let's have like rallies to like all like prevent these things from happening. And, you know, if it's sane, safe, consensual, and it's behind closed doors, we got to stop giving a shit about what happens in people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing about the church that you realize when you get out is that there's a lot of meddling and gossip and interfering in people's lives done in the name of God, done yeah. in the name of, how are you doing, sister? You know, can I pray for you? Um, I always thought prayer requests was just like a huge gossip line. Like people, like I went to Christian junior high school and like we would do prayer requests for class and it ended up being just like people having a chance to talk about what was going on in their lives and like, you know, pray for my mom. She lost her earrings, you know, like it, it could be something like that mundane. I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're very nice earrings, but um, you know, it's, it's like using the faith as an opportunity to meddle <laughs> from black yeah. to term. Yeah. I remember that aspect in, in church. Pray for so and so. They're going through a tough time right now. Did you guys have prayer requests in your? Yeah, yeah. you were in a youth group. So yeah, I was in youth group. Yeah, I dated the preacher's son at my Baptist church. I was in youth choir. I, you know, the youth leadership stuff. Like I went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night for Outreach Cafe, and Wednesday evening. Sounds about through, right. Through a good amount of high school until yeah. my senior year, and then I basically went occasionally. I went to Europe between junior and senior year and then broke up with the preacher's son. But that totally, cha- totally changed my world worldview. Wasn't that a mission strip though? That No, it was actually people to people student ambassadors. Oh, okay. So it was just, it was a secular trip. It was just a bunch of high school kids here in KC that were 
good academically and athletically and civically minded. And it was to give us an opportunity to just go overseas and have cultural exchanges. And I, it totally changed my life. My mom said like, you came back a different kid. Mm. We were both over there at the same time. Yeah. Fall or summer 98. Yes. Yes. In fact, uh, side note, I recently, as of what night was it? Thursday night had catch up zoom with my one and only friend that I had when my parents lived in Germany. She was an au pair, a nanny for a wealthy German family. And we just met at her speaking English. And she was from, I was like, are you American? She's like, Canada. And I'm like, good enough. That'll <sighs> and we had nothing in common. Um, she was an atheist punk kid from Toronto. I was, ah! I was me. I mean, literally nothing. And we, but we had no other friends. So out of necessity, we formed this beautiful friendship. It was just really, really wonderful. And then because it was that late 90s period where technology was on the cusp of being able to keep in touch easier, like she tried to write a letter to me and it bounced back because my parents had moved. So it was just one of those things where we totally lost touch. And I put it out, Kristen, I put it out on the internet. Like maybe somebody knows her. I didn't even have her last name did not even have her last name and a friend of a friend went to high school with her and connected us and we were able to talk for the first time in over 20 some years I love that I'm still Facebook friends with my gal I did a homestay with in Austria on my trip see and those friendships like even though like you probably have very little in common now in terms of like what do your lives look like that time together out of your element in another country is so bonding and formative. It's just a really nice thing. Yes, because I credit her with helping me see that I didn't need to be this cooped up, like conservative. <laughs> okay, so the, the week that I spent in her house, we could go to the bars because Austrian kids at 16 can drink and I was 17. So we went to the bars. We hung out with boys in leather jackets that like, like one of the dads bought me a shot because he loved Americans and Harley Davidson's. And <laughs> but you're like, I don't have Harley right, Davidson. I know. And then this girl, this girl, like the, the girl just didn't have many like boundaries for personal space. And she got right up next to me in the bar and was like talking in my ear, but like her lips were touching my ear. And so I had my first like turn on from a girl where I felt like Ooh. that sensation go down inside. I was like, oh shit, I think I'm turned on by her like talking to me. What's going on here? Oh God. My first like little bisexual like kindling experience yeah, yeah and then by the end of the week she took the the girl's name was Sandra that I stayed with took me to this huge party that Stiegel the beer that we know for Radler yeah. Stiegel threw cool. for the kids uh at this tavern if you got a five on your marks you got to drink for free which five was like an f I got to make out with this gorgeous boy named Renee oh who bought me a bottle of champagne. And when I didn't like it, it, it was too bitter. He went and got something I had never heard of before, but it made the champagne sweet. And it was called Red Bull. <laughs> right? Red Bull had just hit the market there. Oh, but did you put the Red Bull in the champagne? You put a little bit in it. Yes, because no. it sweetened it up. No. It sweetened. It was just like a little like boop, just like a little like tiny swallow worth. Just oh, took it from like a bitter brute to like, I could drink this. And then we're making out. And then this other guy comes over and was like, no, he's my boyfriend. Grabs him. They start making out. I don't know what's going on. Sandra's just laughing and having a good time. And she puts her arm around me. She's like, how do you like things now, American? I'm like, um, life's a little different over here, isn't it? She's like, yes, it's not quite so stuffy as in America, right? I'm like, yep, that's right. That's my terrible Austrian accent. But... Hey, it, wasn't it, it was like an awakening for me that five four days with her i yeah life altering <gasps> broke up with the preacher son <laughs> i broke up with that boy bye-bye choose yep as they say in germany uh, <laughs> uh yeah um I'm, I'm, hold on can i go back real quick to the red bull and champagne like i've yes. heard of that like this is worse than the jolly rancher and azima no i have to <sighs> For really cheap champagne, I mean, it was, and again, I'm 17. I, I could drink oh, yeah. cheap brute now. Right. Sure. But back then it really was sort of like, okay, yes, it's like the Jolly Rancher and the Zima. Okay, you're right. 
Oh, I have new, that is a new one. I love hearing these stories because that is a new one. I never heard that. But yeah, so we went over there, and it just took a few a few days to really like. It's like the world isn't as small as I thought it was, mm-hmm. and it's really eye opening. And when your eyes start to open, your mind starts to open. Yeah, and that's what yeah. happened to me with Randy. You know, she she was an atheist. She reminded me on our call the other night that I took her to church with me <gasps> in Germany. My parents my parents went to an American or British like English speaking church in Germany, and I had to go to church. And I think she'd stayed over the night because we were hanging out and I took her to church with me and I thought I was gonna burst into flames like just being there and I'm like I felt I feel horrible about that I actually remembered it and hope she didn't like I hope it was one of those things that she just forgot (laughs) nope she remembered oh so embarrassing so embarrassing Uh, oh and I remember like I was starting to you know consider my faith so normally I would have been in like heavy proselytizing mode which for those who don't know that's like when you try to convert someone to Christianity Mm -hmm. um previous me and so the fact that I didn't try to like witness to her and that I was real with her was a real milestone for me making that sort of first baby steps out of deconstructing Mm mm-hmm Yeah, that, yeah, that moment where you stop trying to bring people into the fold, because you, I think what hits a lot of us is we realize like, man, some of this stuff is bullshit that I've been trying to get people to believe. Yeah. So, because I mean, if I think it's bullshit, how am I going to get other people to believe it? Not really working out the way I thought it would. Yeah. You know, when was the last time you went to church? (laughs) I don't know. Um. Like, I, okay, I do know, I do know. So after my divorce, um, I had a very sweet friend named Justin, who was um, a very, very liberal, liberal Christian. And he was like, there's this church in Brookside, I think it was, uh, I'm gonna maybe get it wrong, maybe it was like a Disciples of Christ Church, Mm -hmm. um, where the pastor was gay, like it was just a very different vibe. They sang hymns instead of worship songs, which Mm -hmm. um, as a as an evangelical, if I do go to church, I prefer what's called, this is so nerdy, it's called high church versus like a worship service because the worship service triggers all these memories of me trying so hard to be this thing. Um, but the hymns are just nice and lovely and like don't have so much emotional baggage to them. And they're they're more about like the traditional, like the book that you would see in the church, you know, mm-hmm. the hymnal stuff, not like the uh instrumentals in the screen with like the words projecting on the screen i, I can't i yeah, yeah i'm with you. i like i like hymnal churches not yeah. worship service churches there might be an organ involved so yes um yes and, you know you all turn the page 181 and you're gonna do verses one and five <laughs> <laughs> but there's no drum kit on stage there are no guitars no 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 this is a, a organ and a piano that's it so I, I was trying to figure out if, you know, now that I was single, I could make my own decisions about like my faith and everything. If there was a place for me in this sort of like liberal Christianity where, you know, it was, you know, gay people were completely welcome and they were considered leaders. And, you know, that was maybe someplace I could find. And, you know, I went a couple of times with him and it was fun. And I just really enjoyed the brunch afterwards so much more <laughs> than going to church. Um, so that's probably one of the last times I went to church voluntarily. Like I know I've been in churches for weddings and things like that, but I think that was probably the last time I went voluntarily in my mm-hmm. adult life. So with those churches though, despite them being, you know, okay with gay people and stuff like that how how much of that community is actually talking about how to get past some of the stuff that obviously they're talking about how gay people are welcome in their community they're hopefully doing some either education or you know talking about how to deconstruct some of those bad messages that the gay that gay people got lgbtq Mm -hmm. people got are they doing anything for people who are victims of purity culture too? They weren't 
at the, it wasn't to my knowledge. Does that mean that wasn't happening in Bible studies or small groups? You know, I'm not sure I didn't get that deep into that church. Everybody that I met was completely lovely and friendly. And, um, my friend Justin has passed away since then. So, Mm. um, you know, I have very like sweet memories of that time Mm -hmm. with him. Um, but no, there wasn't a focus on that. Like I never heard, I never heard anyone talk about that and Justin didn't talk about that because that wasn't his experience he didn't come from Mm. the the deep-rooted Christianity he just he just was you know drawn to this really cool open-minded church that he wanted to go to yeah well you know most of the time people that go on to become coaches or write books are doing so because they feel like they wanted, they wish they had had someone saying the things that, that they're saying to them on their journey. Yeah. So through your book, Jesus Stole My Power, what are some of the main messages that you're starting to kind of, I know you don't have your book completely done, but what are you hoping are some of the main messages and the main takeaways that people will get from reading your memoir? Yeah, I think that, I think the person that I really want to speak to is, the the I'm gonna say lady because I don't know the male perspective so I'm just gonna say the the young woman who thinks she did everything right and it's just not working out for her and she thinks maybe she's a failure and like maybe she made one misstep and that's why God is punishing her or he's not allowing Mm. her to have that marriage or that life that she was promised or believes she was promised. I really want to speak to her and that it's okay. And I really want to speak to people who know her to help understand her journey a little bit more so that they can support her. Uh, I want to speak to like, I read the book Pure by Linda K. Klein. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's a wonderful book. Linda is amazing. I actually, um, she just emailed me this week because we've been talking about, I wrote her a long time ago and she got back to me and like, I'm so nerded out that she wrote me back. And like, she said, um, but, you know, I read the book, and then I handed it to my husband, because he has no, like, he didn't grow up this way. And doesn't know that, you know, things that were said to us, like, would you want to chew a piece of chewed up gum already? Like, metaphors that were used mm-hmm. to describe losing your virginity before you got married were really actually quite horrific. Like, yeah. Comparing yourself to a chewed up piece of gum. Well, that's just, that's just not the way you should do that. And so uh, I think it's important for people who haven't experienced that, especially if they have a partner that has come from that to really understand that. And I handed Linda's book to my husband to read. And I would hope that if my book got published, you could hand it to somebody, to a partner to say, here, this help read this story. It will help you understand where I came from. Mm-hmm. You said something in there about, and it really just struck me about how you want this book to appeal to the women who feel like they just made a misstep and now they're being punished. So like, Mm -hmm. for instance, I did have sex and now because I'm no longer pure, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to find the husband of my dreams. I'm not going to have that powerful love. Like Mm -hmm. that's a real thing that if you weren't raised in this culture, it's a really hard concept for people to understand this uh, idea of like a retribution oh, yeah. for missteps. Oh yeah. I, my thing, I didn't have sex, but I, you know, my thing that I thought God was punishing me for was I let one of my high school boyfriends touch my left boob, not my right boob, just my left boob created all sorts of issues down the line as far as like, what's wrong with my right boob. But, um, you know, <laughs> I, that's a mostly a joke, but the, the fact is I did really think I was being punished for that. And like, I remember the next day after that happened, I like called a few of my Christian friends and I was like, pray for me. I made a big sin, you know? Um, um, and it, it, it weighed on me and I'm like, this is why it has to go back to that. Cause up until then I had just been basically perfect. And so it's not that at all. It has nothing to do with that. And I wish looking back, I could have enjoyed left boob touch, but, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure I did, but like also the guilt was like monumental. So and that's the thing is the lingering guilt afterwards, the feeling like, <sighs> You, not only that you did something bad, but then the shame that kicks in of I am bad. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yes. And I mean, you can, you can confess it, you know, cause and even other, if you're familiar with Catholicism, like you go and you confess and like the priest 
tells you to do five things to absolve yourself. I'm probably butchering that Catholic friends. I apologize. I've never been Catholic. Um, close. It's close enough. Yeah. Yeah. But with, with, with evangelicalism, Christ died on the cross for all of your sins, but it's also important to recognize your sins and to, you know, confess them and to be sorry for them. Mm-hmm. So usually and then atone. atone through whatever, you know, I don't know what I would have atoned. I don't know what I would have thought to atone with. You know, what I atoned with is I helped I was really active in um like middle school a middle school youth group when I was in college as a as a leader and um I loved just helping those young women through their horrible middle school years um and it also later on helped me um have compassion for people cuz those girls were going through middle school during like the AOL years and so they were getting like bullied on AOL which wasn't a thing I ever experienced so at least it gave me some perspective to understand some of my slightly younger friends than me now who had the internet when they were in high school and junior high and what that experience was like for them so um, I may be old as dirt but I did have that but I think helping mentor those women and and then and show them Christ was where where I found atonement for me personally at the time it was an atonement, but now in retrospect, you're like, damn, why did I do that to them? Damn, I, like, I damaged them. I'm, <laughs> you know, I do. I have a lot. That's another layer of guilt, you know, and I've found some of those people that were in youth groups that I was a leader in and, you know, a friend of them on Facebook. And, you know, they all, you know, everybody seems to be doing kind of okay on Facebook. So, like, they all seem to be doing okay, but, like, I wonder. I wonder if they've dealt with their purity culture, you know, how did that go for them? you know, maybe they'll read my book and uh, uh, maybe it will speak to them or maybe they'll just pray for me a lot. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people praying for me so um, they can jump on that bandwagon. Perfect. I love it. Well, on that note, one of the things that I often wrap up on is a tarot reading. So are you down with tarot? I would love that. I don't have tarot cards, but this is cool. Perfect. Let me grab my deck here. Okay, done your shuffle, and you have the Two of Earth, and I'm going to describe to you what this card looks like before I read uh, from the book from what it means. So the Two of Earth here has a gentleman and a woman sitting on a park bench. The gentleman is in a suit, like a black suit, well-fitting. She has taken his black kind of bowler hat off and put it on her head. She's wearing like a short dress uh, with short sleeves, kind of low cut, like nice cleavage. Um, It's kind of like a mid-thigh dress, like cream color, and she's wearing heels. Um, She's white. She's got blonde curly hair, and she's reaching over and grabbing. She's got one arm around him, like her left arm around him, and the right arm is reaching down and grabbing his bulge or going up his thigh. Oh. And she has a smile on her face and he has a look of sort of shock, sort of surprise, but uh, looking like he's into it as well. Good. So it's consensual. This is good. (laughs) Yes. It looks like more of a, are we really going to do this here kind of look? Because they're on a park bench. So the earth suit is about your instincts. It corresponds to the suit of pentacles, which is the sense of touch in the physical and material sphere. The earth governs the body and our knowledge of it and also the instincts and sensations which this knowledge brings about. It is also the relationship with the self and one's inner being. So the two is about excitement, playfulness, enjoyment, harmless jokes. It's about Jupiter in Capricorn or the need to develop the self ambitiously and coldly. Lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Any of that hit home? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, do you, is there something I can like, I'm kind of like, I have to read it later. Like I have totally, to. I can absolutely take a picture of this and the explanation and text it to you. Please do, because I like really want to sit on this for a minute. Um, I'm sure, you know, I'm. it's interesting that it was earth because like I'm Virgo, which is very much an earth sign. Uh, mm-hmm. And my husband is also Virgo, um, although he doesn't really follow all that kind of stuff. He does kind of <sighs> he's dismissive of ast- astrology, but uh, I, yeah. there's something there. Whether 
I don't know. That's another conversation. But yeah, I'm really, really intrigued by this. I'm going to have to take a, a deeper look. Well, I will definitely send you a picture and more info. And I'm going to take a picture of it right now for the show. There we go. Perfect. Well, Stephanie, this was an absolute joy. I would love to um, follow up with you further and interview for my book, which is going to be about kind of the influence of Christianity on dating in America. Mm. So I can go a some lot common directions. <laughs> yes. There have been three things that have been common themes that have come up. Of course, purity culture is one of them. Um, but, you know, I, I would be interested to see if some of the other things came up in, in your upbringing or in your church culture. And yeah. yeah, I think just having a further conversation about some of this stuff would be a lot of fun because you, for one, I, I'm a talker. So I love when I get a guest on that's a talker too. Yes, I, I, I did not. I, I did not to pull a thing out of you today. I love it. <laughs> I am a talker. I, you know, there is a reason I was on radio. <laughs> I never had problems filling the air with. <laughs> That's why I love doing a podcast and not writing. I mean, I I feel like I'm a good writer, but I'm much better at just having a conversation with people. And again, I love having people from around here who have interesting stories to share. Because, I mean, Kansas City is a really fun place. This is the Paris of the Plains. We've got some cool shit going on oh, I here. I've heard that in a minute. Like, I've heard that, but I haven't heard someone say that in a minute. I really like it. I oh, I, I mean, I love the idea of, like, our history here and how, like, really, truly naughty we kind of are in some regards here in Kansas City. Oh, yeah. Still to this day. There is a lot of booze involved. There are, like, um, Pendergasts and booze. And yes. Go to any of the... Um, really great new um, distilleries that have popped around town. They have wonderful historical stories that are really fascinating and interesting. I just love that kind of thing. So, yeah. Me too. Me too. Well, Stephanie, you are definitely welcome back on Keep Them Coming anytime. And I will look forward to interviewing you soon for my book too. Absolutely. And good luck with that. It's a lot of work. So um, uh, well, got my support. So <laughs> thank you. We can maybe put our heads together in some aspects on that too. And I pick um, your brain on some of the, absolutely. or I, hey, I need to call Shelby that I need to call Shelby. And <laughs> since she was Shelby. a guest in my show, I bet she'd help me out with some of that stuff too. So she definitely would. She gave me great advice and um, yeah, I would recommend um, getting a copy of um, the, I don't have the newest writer's digest because I'm sure there's one for 2021. Um, I have the 2021, I think don't actually know where it is right now that I think about it, but um, it's just basically a book that has, you know, all the different publishing houses and like how to contact people and agents and all that. It's just like a, a, a really nice little directory. So I highly recommend mm. starting there. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. You're awesome. Yeah, thank you. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.